Good to see folk in here and uh, very good to be with you online as well this morning. It's maybe a slightly premature question, but how will 2020 be remembered? I suggest it will partly be remembered by a bunch of new words and phrases that we have become accustomed to this year. One, very sadly, you'll be familiar with, I can't breathe. Brexit began this year and should be concluded this year. That's become familiar too. And of course, the term COVID-19 has become familiar along with various related terms like social distancing, lockdown, face mask, rule of six, pandemic, quarantine, isolation, furlough, and loads more as well. One journalist has, uh, has written this, it is inevitable that 2020 will at least be remembered as one of the most troublesome eras of humanity. Another one, another journalist said this, the year 2020 will be remembered as a turnaround point in human history, not just because many will die, but because the COVID-19 pandemic is offering us a chance to reinvent ourselves. Now, in some senses, of course, so much has changed. And yet, it's also true that so much remains the same. That's true for my life. Life has taken on a different shape, but there are many of the things that were certain in my life that are absolutely the same as they used to be. And for Citygate, our church, in one sense, so much has changed. We're now on site as well as online. We're scattered around more than we are gathered these days. Church life, of course, may not be quite the same ever again. But in so many ways, so much remains the same. God, of course, is unchanged. The truth is unchanged. The church is still the church with the same values, the same vision, and largely the same people. So with all of that in mind, in this strange world we're in of so much changing, with all that in mind, we're beginning a new series this morning called Reforming Church. Reforming Church has always been the task of the church. It's always been the task of the church to take the unchanging essentials of the Christian faith and reform in every generation because in every generation things are changing and the context is altering. So we're going to look at eight terms the New Testament uses to describe the church. Uses plenty, but we're going to look at these. People, family, community, temple, unity, body, disciples, witness. And we're going to ask, what did the writers mean by those terms? And then what does it mean for us, therefore, in this context, particularly now when we're so scattered and not often gathered? What does it look like for us today? We're going to start today with people. The church is the people of God. And I'm going to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. Peter writes this, As you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, 
See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, God's people, the church, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What a wonderful passage that is. Now, twice in, this, in that section of Scripture, the church is called people. Greek word, laos. In contrast, he says to verses, those in verses 7 and 8 who reject Jesus and stumble over him, you are a chosen people, verse 9. You are the people of God, verse 10. Now, laos is a word that's used for people in general, the people of Bournemouth. But it's specially, particularly used for those who collectively belong to God, the people of God. Now then, one way to look at the storyline of the Bible is to identify various threads that run through from beginning to end. And in so doing, what you find is that there are consistent themes throughout the Bible. It's, it's not just a random collection of writings, you see. There's one author behind it telling one's long, big, massive storyline. There are common threads. And so we find in the Bible threads like these, themes like these. Kingdom, redemption, covenant, sacrifice, grace, revelation, holiness, glory. They follow as threads through the whole of Scripture. And they all grow in clarity and beauty as the storyline progresses. It's a little bit like storylines in a movie. They're going somewhere. They're building. They're growing. You're getting more and more of the picture as the movie goes on. And another biblical thread is people. From beginning to end, God is creating a people who are his a people who will know him, who will love him, who will follow after his heart and his instructions, who will represent him and carry his great name in all the earth. He's after a people. And so you find at the beginning of the Bible that he creates Adam and Eve and gives them a mandate to carry his name and fill the earth. Then Noah then Abraham, I'll call you and make you a blessing and through you all nations will be blessed. He's calling a people. And then the exodus happens under Moses and we get this statement, which is representative of this whole thread. I will take you, God says through Moses, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And then the story continues through David, Solomon and all the kings. Through the Old Testament, God is looking for a people who will belong to him and not just belong to him, but love him and know him and represent him in all the earth. 
But if you know the Bible story at all, you'll know that there's repeated and frequent and terrible rebellion. And the people go through cycles and cycles of decline such that we reach a major low point when Hosea, one of the Old Testament prophets, is told to prophesy about his own son who's just been born. Who's just been born. The Lord said, call him. Hosea, call your son Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For the Lord says, you are not my people, and I am not your God. And the people are judged and sent off in exile. That is one of the low points of the Bible throughout. But God will not give up on his people. And he won't give up on his name being glorified in his people. So in fulfillment of all that went before, he sends his son to redeem and rescue and restore and renew those who do trust in him. And in so doing, he creates a new people full of his spirit called the church from all nations who will love him and follow him and have a heart full of the spirit, not just a heart of stone, to follow him and make him known in all the earth. All of which the end of the Bible tells us culminates in that great picture in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, spot the themes here, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The story is complete. God has a people and they are now with him without hindrance, without sin and without compromise. That's a magnificent theme throughout the Bible. Now, here's the question we have to ask though. What sort of people are God's people to be? What marks out this people from every other people on the face of the earth? And that's where we've got to go back to 1 Peter chapter 2 and find the description there of what this people are to be like. Because Peter writing sees both Jesus and his people in terms of the Old Testament temple the place where God would meet with people. So Peter, seven times in that passage we read, describes Jesus as a stone, as a living stone, as a cornerstone. And he describes the church and Christians with eight different terms, four of which are related to the temple and all of which come from the Old Testament. And he quotes three Old Testament passages to back up what he's saying. And there are two things in particular from that passage that we need to note about Jesus that will help us to see what sort of people God's people are to be. The first is this. He says that Jesus is the cornerstone. Verse 4, he is a stone laid in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And then verse 7, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. One writer put it like this in biblical times a cornerstone thinking of a massive stone walled building in biblical times a cornerstone was used as the foundation and standard upon which a building was constructed 
once in place, the rest of the building would conform to the angles and size of the cornerstone. In addition, if removed, the entire structure would collapse. I'm sure you can see the picture. Through, through his life, his death, his resurrection and his ascension, Jesus is the founder of a new people, the church, in which he is the first to be laid, but the guiding stone too for all the other stones who will be built into the temple. You and I built into this temple alongside, aligned to Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. And Peter also says he is the living stone. So he says, verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone. See, Jesus isn't just a dead but helpful guiding stone. Well, at least we've got his teaching. At least we've got his example to go by. We kind of know how to live. No, he's not a dead sort of inert lump of rock. He's alive from the dead. And he's the source of the temple's vitality. The very life of this cornerstone, Christ, is flowing through the rest of the temple such that every stone in it is called a living stone. There's life in you and life in me because the risen one is alive and sending his spirit and filling us with the life of God to be his people. So back to our question. What sort of people are we the people of God, meant to be. Well, picking up some things we've talked about here, firstly, we are a people by design. We're a people by design. We're designed to be a people. Now, let's be honest. For those of us from a modern Western nation, this is a huge challenge. The people of God are a people All the terms in this passage are collective. Christ is the cornerstone of a spiritual house built with a multitude of living stones. And however individualistic our culture might be, however individualistic we have become in this nation certainly, Christ is building a people not just a collection of individuals. If you are part of CityGate here today, you haven't just come to a meeting as individuals. There's a very real sense in which you are built together as living stones. Maybe you're watching online this morning. You think, I can't even get there. I'm having to shield. I don't feel able to get there yet. Listen, let me remind you, you are part of a spiritual house. You are a living stone, not just an individual left out there somewhere God is with you and you are part of the people of God because God is building a people, not just a collection of individuals. And then we are a people with dignity. I don't know if you noticed, but when we read that passage, there were some absolutely extraordinary words. We are a people, but we are a people with amazing dignity. Let me try these words on you, see if they have any effect. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession. Now maybe at home they're whooping and hollering and excited about that. There's not a lot going on in here. But anyway... without trying to drum up something artificial, those, <laughs> which I'm not, those are extraordinary words. 
Let me encourage you to speak that to yourself frequently. Let me encourage you to write it on your mirror. Let me encourage you to wake up to it in the morning. Let me encourage you to go to bed at night with those words. Because we often don't feel like that, do we? A man rushed to see his doctor. He was looking exhausted and stressed, and he, he rattled off to the doctor. Doctor, take a look at me. When I woke up this morning, I looked at myself in the mirror and was horrified by what I saw. My hair was all wiry and frazzled. My skin was even more wrinkled and pale than usual. My eyes were bloodshot and bulging out, and I had this deathly look on my face. What's wrong with me, doctor? The doctor looked him over for a couple of minutes and then calmly said, well, sir, from what you've told me, I can confirm there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. We, we all feel a bit like that at times, don't we? Whether physically, emotionally, circumstantially or whatever. I'm just a nobody. I'm a nothing. I'm a failure. I'm a sinner. I'm just a big disappointment. You are bound to have felt like that at times. Let's try these words instead. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now, I'm not trying to just big you up. There's absolutely nothing special about me in and of myself. But as a child of God, I am his special possession. I am a holy person. He treasures me, delights in me, because I am found in the one he finds delightful, Jesus. Let me encourage you to remember that. Let me encourage you to remember that we are a people by design and a people with great dignity. And finally, we are a people with definition. That's, of course, the point of the cornerstone metaphor. The cornerstone wasn't just the first stone to be laid. It was the one that was laid from which every other stone took its cue. It gave definition to the building. If I laid the cornerstone here, massive great thing it would have been, then every other stone must line up with it. This way, that way, or this way. It provides definition to the building and how all subsequent stones in this picture, you and I, are to be fitted. So when we ask questions like this, we have a partial answer at least. It's always, what would Jesus do? We have this question, how should I live in this situation? I wonder if any of you are facing that at the minute. Align with the cornerstone. What would he do? What should I do with my resources? What should be my priorities in life? How should I respond when insulted or misunderstood? How should I practice forgiveness, faithfulness, friendship? It's always align with the cornerstone. That's the point of the metaphor. So whether we're gathered... Whether we're scattered, every moment of every week, everywhere that we find ourselves, we are God's people. By design, with great dignity, and living in a way defined 
by the cornerstone whose very life pumps through every other living stone in his temple. So let me ask you as we wrap up, which of those three is the one on which you need to take some action this morning? Design? Maybe you've just forgotten that we're a people because it's been difficult to be physically together. Maybe you've given up on being together. Maybe you just have lost the will to be part of the people of God. Let me tell you, God never intended for you to live as an isolated Christian. It's a challenge to be in the people, but it's God's grace to us and his design to be in the people. Or maybe you're like the chap who went to the doctor and is just saying, I'm such a mess. I'm a nothing, a nobody, a bit of a disappointment to myself and others. When you get home, I want you to read that passage, verses 9 and 10, again and again and again. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Maybe for you, it's definition. I've got a decision to make. I'm not sure what to do about this circumstance I'm in. Ask what aligns you with the cornerstone and do it. It may be costly, but God has been calling a people to obey him and be his and know him and glorify him and make him known in all the earth in this wonderful temple called the people of God. Isn't that magnificent? What a great truth. Enjoy being the people of God. Enjoy the dignity it brings and align yourself with all that Jesus is. Let's stand up, can we please? I'd like to quickly pray. And then the band are going to close us with a song. Jesus, we thank you for joining us into your spiritual house. What an honour to be one of your chosen ones. What an honour to be treasured and prized by the King of the universe. Lord, increase our vision for the church. Increase our vision for what this people can be filled with your spirit. And help us, Lord, to align more and more to Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Amen.